Hi, and welcome to the BU and Charlestown High Collaboration Podcast. In this first conversation out of two, our podcast host, Nikki, talks with Marvin Moore, school counselor of Charlestown High, about the public education system in Boston. During his high school years, Marvin found several flaws, such as homogeneity and industrialism within the educational system, which inspired him to take the route of an educator, working with youth to inform them of the system they live in and how they can take advantage of institutional systems that control them. In the first part of the podcast, Marvin talks about his background as a freshman who completed his college education at Wesleyan University. In the second part, Marvin talks about the school he works in, Charlestown High, and their commitment to help students succeed in a diverse educational environment. Finally, Marvin lays out his hopes and dreams for the future of Charlestown High and potential collaborations he has in mind. With that said, let's dive right into the conversation. And when I stepped outside my door from the projects and people were dressed nice, had cars, jewelry, stuff like that, but I didn't see them going to school or work. If they can make it, I can make it. I'm an intelligent kid. I'm not dumb. I'm not stupid. So I stopped. I had to tell my mother after football season, I don't want to go to school no more. I'll just work and I'll figure things out. Mm-hmm. So my mother signed me out of school. I was working. I was in the streets. I was trying to, you know, live a balanced life of trying to help support my family. But then I also was getting caught up into the negative activity that the street culture brings. So at 14, I stopped going to school. It was, wasn't until I turned 17, a couple of my friends got killed. A couple of my other friends got locked up. That I said to myself, if I ever had kids, I wanted to make sure they had a better life than me. So that was my purpose. I had a purpose to go back to school. So I went back to school as a 17-year-old freshman. Being in classes now, and at this time, I was the only freshman driving to school because I had my license. I had a car, right? And then I also had teachers who were like 25, 26, 27, same age, or if not older or younger than the people I'm out in the streets with. And I got to ask this person if I can go to the bathroom, if I can do this, and I'm living my life as an adult already. So at that time, I had to learn to also manage people for my best benefit. So I went back to school at 17. And I, at that time, it was either go back to high school and get a GED or go to a program and get a GED or go back to high school and get a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. I decided I wanted my high school diploma. I didn't want a GED. I thought that was second par or subpar. So I went back to high school, but I didn't graduate until I was 21. So because of that, that makes my passion when I meet students face to face and telling them like, yo, if I had the option like this or a program that you could get done in two years the most, I would have took that option instead of being in high school for four years. Mm -hmm. And then from there, after graduating, I ended up going to Wesleyan University in Connecticut. And um, that just showed me and I tell others, like, as as much as I had the gap in my education, I was intelligent enough and smart enough to be able to use the systems in place so that I could step through doors that were open for me. Mm -hmm. So then bring that back full circle. I went I went into working in juvenile justice, doing, you know, meeting kids that were locked up, doing that work, trying to get them back into the community. But I felt I was, because of those times, and those things, I felt like the programs were just recidivism, just having the students come back. It really wasn't helping them get out and become something productive. I remember there was one program I wanted to create where the city I was living in at the time was doing a lot of urban development. Mm-hmm. As part of it, I wanted those students, those 
individuals that were locked up or being detained to be able to go out. Because if they're being part of the community, learning a skill, a trade, by doing working with construction people and all those things, that they would learn skills and also be a part of being the community. Say, oh, I helped build this. I did this skill, this and that. But at that pro, it was shot down because of things. And I was like, well, let me go back to school, get my degree. You know, and I, you know, I took some time off of Wesley and then went back and then I grad, got my degree. And those are the things that I share with students so that they're able to try to, I try to connect with them on those levels. So that's a little bit about me. And then how I got to where I'm at now is that when I moved back, I lived in Atlanta and I was doing early childhood, early childhood development. Um, so the little babies from zero to five was the same things I was doing about cooperative play, problem solving, all those things that you do from zero to five with them was the same thing I was doing with the juveniles from 11 to 11 to 18. Mm-hmm. So I just took those experiences and mashed them together, as you can say. And then um, when I came back to Boston, there was an opportunity for me to connect with our school kids. And that was with the Boston Private Industry Council that they were looking for people to go out and get in contact with dropouts and get them back into the program. So another colleague of mine, Manny Allen, myself and Manny Allen, were the ones who started the re-engagement process of going out, meeting students where they're at, going to homes, meeting them at community centers, and then letting them know that they had options because a lot of them didn't think they had options to graduate. And I did that for 10 years, and then I left that program, went back to DYS for a year, but then I was contacted because when I worked at the re-engagement, Charlestown was my school that I had a caseload of when I put students here. So I would come out and check on them to make sure that they still were connected with their education. Mm-hmm. So because of that, I built relationships with the program that was here. And then they heard that I was out not doing the same work. And they they like, I ran into the director here at my son's, my son was at Boston Arts Academy having a performance. And I met the director here. He's like, oh, I have a position. Are you interested? And from there, um, I've been here since. Okay. So you said something I thought that was very interesting, um, where a lot of your work involved making sure that students were connected with their education. And I think something that would be really interesting and important to get your thoughts on is how do we get people from challenged or disadvantaged backgrounds to stay connected to their education? Because I feel like, you know, a lot of what we see in the American higher educational system is that there's a very specific way to stay connected to your education and your educational goals. And there's also a very specific type of person that that the system is built for. So how do you encourage this connection with people who have to deal with a lot more challenges and aren't necessarily the type of person that the system is built for in the first place? Right. So it's trying to explain to them kids think college is a scheme. Mm-hmm. You know, all my students, like when I do make it's a scheme, Mr. All they're doing is taking our money and then we got to pay back more money later on. And then just okay. trying to break that narrative down to them about it. And part of it is part of it is the system that we live in and it's certain people are granted things. But in order to live a better life, in order to be having things and not have other systems or people have control of your life. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing that I really try to stress to students, because if you're dependent on public housing, they tell you where you have to live, who can live with you, who can live with you. Right. Or you have to meet certain requirements for housing or for, there's students here, like some of them, their parents. I mean, you know, students would come in, oh, I need a letter saying I'm still full-time student here, Mr. Moore, so that my housing's not taken away. So it's reiterating to them about those systems in place and telling them how do we get away from those systems where you can be independent and not dependent on the system hmm. or not, not relying or being told where you can go or how to move. 
you know. So that's how I try to break down that to students and trying to connect them to like, like, yeah, this this country wasn't built for students of color. This country wasn't built for us. It was built by us, mm-hmm. right? But it wasn't built for us. But how do we learn the systems that are here so that we can take advantage of the systems and manage the systems that is for our best benefit? Yeah. And then showing them that whether it's going to college, like I'm, I tell students, like you need something more than a high school diploma. So whether it's a technical degree, whether it's a certification, or whether it's a two-year degree or four-year degree, you need something more to be able to move through the society. A high school diploma is not going to help you alone. So we also use, I have a, a chart that shows the lifetime earnings of folks here in Massachusetts, what it breaks down by education attainment. So like if you have less than a high school diploma, you're going to make less than a million dollars over your high school life. You get a high school, I mean, you get a two-year degree, you're going to earn 500000 more than your high school diploma. You get a four-year degree, you're talking about earning a million dollars more than having a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. So that's how I try to break down that narrative with students that college, partly to others, it can be a scheme if they don't understand the process of college and understanding like about going to classes, about not dropping or adding classes that you could have lost financial aid on or your financial aid is going to remediation courses and not your actual core classes that you need to attain your degree. So trying to break all those things down to students mm-hmm. at the same time and using different stories is how I try to inform them as best I can. Absolutely answered our question. And I think what's what's really interesting and important about what you're telling us here is that you focus so much on lived experience. And that's something that we talk about in our class all the time, because when we deconstruct dominant narratives, right, we're always basing what is normal, what is proper and what is right on the experiences of usually like upper middle class white individuals, white men to be specific. So I think you're doing really important work here, focusing on the lived experience of really everyone else who exists in this country and in, and in the rest of the world. Right. Um, so I think that's really powerful. OK, Marvin, so I'm going to continue and I'm going to ask you about. So thank you so much for sharing the mission and vision. Everything sounds great. Um can you tell me a little bit more about the challenges that you face in your work? Um, because I want to get more of a, a deeper understanding into the experiences of students who are really trying to, as you said a while ago, I really like how you put it, learn how to work a system that controls them and that dictates every aspect of their lives and their experiences. Because I feel like what you're doing here is teaching people how to regain like self-determination and agency in a world and a setting that does not want to give it to them. Right. So what are your thoughts about that? Is it very challenging? Have you had successes? Things of the sort. I had plenty of successes. Mm-hmm. And, but, the you know, a lot of the challenges are, you know, we're trying to get students to come in here and be a student. But before they can be a student, all those other things that are outside are the challenges, whether it's social, emotional, whether it's the home life, whether it's anything. So those are the challenges is trying to get those barriers and those potholes that students run into and speed bumps is trying to get those things manageable for them so then they can be able to focus as a student. Mm -hmm. You know, so those are the challenges that we have. Like I have students that are, they work full-time overnight jobs. You know, I might see them once or twice a week because they're working overnight, this and that. They're highly, they can do the work, they're capable, but because of COVID also has really shifted and change the mindset of students too. So in what that way? has happened. Um, just, oh, it's been some of the challenges just like from being go from remote learning, mm-hmm. you know, to coming back and actually being in the building. 
where students could sign on from a computer at home and not have to travel. That's the other thing. The, the travel, some of those students live in Mattapan, High Park, and they have to travel all the way to Charlestown. You know, and for those students who start at seven o'clock in the morning, like that means they have to leave the house at five. Yeah. Get here for seven. If they're on the, the regular traditional school day would be for them to get here at seven. You know, and that's why we changed our time from seven in the morning to a 9.30 start time. Yeah. Students don't have to arrive to our program until 9.30. That's fantastic. Um, and I think another thing here that's really important is that I'm, I'm just thinking about even like the experiences that we have as students in a big institution like BU, you know, very expensive tuition, mostly catering to upper middle class individuals, honestly, like hardly any financial aid options in the eyes of many people. What we're here for is the educational experience, and everyone is expected to have all the other aspects of their life figured out on their own, just get here, perform, have all the resources, you know, all of that. But, I mean, as as you probably know, BU is actually a very, very um, homogenous school and that the pop- student population is not diverse at all. And what you're talking about in terms of the goals of your program is that you guys are focused on a very holistic education that really looks at students' in all aspects of their life, inside and outside of the classroom. Exactly. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit more about how you provide this holistic education that really brings people up um, in all aspects yeah. of their lives? Because I think it's something that's really lacking from the American educational system in this current day. Yeah, our program is very unique when it comes to that. So, like, we have a social worker in our own program. Like, we do – we built into our day schedule, so we have critical conscious circles, that's a deal. We have a circle every Monday. Um, this past Monday, I had a Boston sergeant from the internal affairs come so that students know their rights when they're being harassed by police or they found that they're being harassed by police. And he's the one that I'm the one who investigates the police. So these are the things that you need to do in order to make it so that you're not being detained, being detained or if you are aggressively been agitated by police or you feeling that they're really coming at you these are the things that the steps that you take so doing circles like that like one circle we did before was about the this is america video by donald glover and really breaking that video down to the students and sitting and really having concrete conversations about the video and how it impacts us as individuals so we do critical conscious circles every monday and then on tuesdays we have what's called social emotional learning days you know, and we have, it's like similar to circle, but it's really touching like what are your triggers? What are things that upset you? Anger management. Um, we have substance abuse program comes in and talks about how drugs affect you and not, you know, not been shaming or putting students down, but saying like, this is the stuff that you're putting into the body. The more that you're aware of the things that you're putting in your body, the better choices that you can make from putting things that will harm you. Right. So it's really educating kids on that sense. And then on Wednesdays is a half a day. So students leave a little earlier. But then on Thursdays, we have clubs and clubs vary in different ways. Students get to learn like some of the students, one of the clubs they asked for was a baking club because they don't know how to cook. So we were doing cooking for a couple of weeks. You know, another club, fitness exercise. We've done yoga. We've done, you know, so in that aspect of those things of trying to engage students with extracurricular activities that gives them enhancements on taking stress away, knowing how to do breathing techniques, knowing how to do those things, but then also sitting there really critically looking at the world that we're in, and then how do you make those changes to that world? So those are some of the elements. And then always, like every morning, we have what's called a Harambe circle, 
So we start our day off in a circle. We'll have a check-in to see where kids are at. So we know where they're at. Like, I'll ask is like, are you at a one to five today? Where are you at? You know, because it gives us a better sense of where they're at. And we know, like, all right, you're not having a good day, so we're not going to push you too hard. But we're here still holding you accountable to what you need to do. You know. And then the other thing, another component that we use to really show, we use restorative justice. So we're not suspending or expelling students. We're trying to figure out what the harm is and then how do we make it right amongst our community. You know, so we don't call, whenever a student has a breakdown, we call it a breakdown. We don't want to call it a infraction or a behavior thing or a student had a breakdown. They had a bad day. They had a breakdown. How do we make this breakdown right? And I have one more to add. Oh, to please, that. please, please. Go ahead. Question. Yeah. Um, is that the teachers? So the other thing is the teachers. Students make their connection with teachers. They have teachers of the same reflection. There's myself. Our math teachers a person of color. Our history teachers a person of color. Our ELA teachers a person of color. You know, the directors a person of color. You know, so it's really showing them like these are faces that you see. These are people that you see that it's not just because I tell them I, like, I didn't have my first person of color until I was in college. The only person I had a color in high school was a dean of discipline. You know, and if you go around, that's usually what it is in the urban settings is a dean of discipline is a person of color, but the teachers are all white or, you know, of that nature. So it's trying to really let them be reflective. Like you're going to see somebody who looks like you or has come from the same neighborhood as you and they're in here teaching you. So. Yeah, no, and I think that actually even speaks to my experience. So I didn't grow up in the United States. I grew up in the Philippines, and I went to an international school there. And all my teachers were white, right? And the only teachers who were actually Filipino were substitute teachers or people teaching second language, and there were tons of strikes because they would not even get paid half as much as their white counterparts, right? So I think it's so important what you're doing. Um, and, yeah, to wrap all of it up, uh, my last question then for you would be what – I mean, obviously, the operation that you're running right now, it's incredible, but I'm sure it's very hard to do, especially because it's not the norm in the American higher educational system. So what are some dreams and goals you have for the future? Our dreams and goals is to hopefully, like, because, like, we don't have true autonomy mm-hmm. because we share the space, we're in a building, right? And we still count as some of their numbers for the district. So we want total autonomy, whereas being an alternative ed, we don't have to align to some of the requirements that the district has, you know. And it's hard to do because, you, like you said, these students aren't regular, normal students that can just get up and go to school, right? That they come from a two-parent home, that they live in a, a house that everything's provided and everything's provided for them. Instead, these students are, like, helping contributing, helping paying bills, help, you know, trying to figure out their own lives. And knowing that their families are, you know, trying to progress in this world. Yeah. So it's really just our purpose is to make sure that students know that things are attainable and beyond just their neighborhoods. Because a lot of students don't go beyond their neighborhoods. You know, they're stuck where they're at. Like you, you can ask, like some of my students have not left Boston itself have not been like down to the Cape or down to Providence or Connecticut or that they've actually just been right there because of means or no means of being able to have those experiences. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. And Can I you repeat your question again too? Cause I felt like I might have missed a couple of other points. No. So that, that makes a lot of sense. So I asked you basically what your dreams and hopes are for the future um, for you and your organization. And you did talk about autonomy, having more autonomy as an operation 
Um, if you wanted to give some specific examples of that, that, that possibly could be helpful. Um, I think that having the fund, like us being able to also find the funding, because the more that we're able to expose students, college trips down south, maybe even like doing, coming up with a collaboration of doing, because one of my children actually went to like Costa Rica for the summer to go to the rainforest as like a science project stuff. So being able to give students opportunities of that nature, mm -hmm. you know, and be able to have our own space where students feel like, all right, this is our space. We don't have to follow the regular, like as the regular school with the metal detectors and this and that, where we come, where we feel really welcomed. Because our space, I wish, if I, you know, take people around, I'm on the computer, but we have a couple of murals inside that we're done with local artists and the students together. We have, we have like lots of different friends. The classrooms are not normal classrooms. Like there's couches in some classrooms. There's beanbags in classrooms. There's comfortable chairs in classrooms. Like we're making so students can be able to come in and be a student, but not sitting in that industrial. Because mm -hmm. I feel our education system is still based off the industrial times. That's how the classrooms were set up. That's how our ed American educational system was built off the industrial education system. So if you look at the classrooms with rows by rows of seats and then nothing comfortable, not in there, like so. So this podcast is going to go um, mostly to the BU College of Education students and faculty. Obviously, you have a lot of people here who are in really privileged positions in a great academic institution with a lot of resources who are studying education, but maybe don't have as much experience or the opportunity to be able to live the real world um, the way that you and your students do and really understand what it means to not to be underserved by the American educational system. So is there anything that you would want to say or communicate to the audience to close us off? My thing is, so Massachusetts, now even say just Boston alone, how many higher education facilities are here? Now imagine each, because, you know, tax write-offs, all those things that the colleges and universities get, right? Imagine if each school gave 1% of their endowment back to the public school system to help educate, to help support these institutions gaining more students. Mm -hmm. So that would be, if anything, for people to think about and think, how does higher education give back to second, I mean, not secondary, but high school education, mm -hmm. the public education in order to attain these type of students, you know, and that would be if they gave 1% of their endowment back to the public school so the schools can have the books, the resources, all the things that they need so that these students can have that holistic approach so that they can be a student. And then also we've turned to a PBL, which is project-based learning, where we have teachers, math and science collaborating together. Like one of the projects students did last year was they did like a kilocal uh, project where students had to learn the fats, the, the sodium, all these things, find out these things. And then they created a menu, they created the breakdown of fats, nutrition, all the stuff that come in when you look at food. And then they had to go upstairs and cook it. And then for at the, for the end of their project, that's how they presented their project, by what they made and showing the fats, the proteins, all that stuff, you know, with collaboration for math and science and earning those competency credits so that they're able to graduate. So it's the program, like I said, is not traditional high school. It's really the competency-based students really showing the things that they know by learning, but not by testing out like the system of, oh, we have to test, we have to test, we have to test. Like, let students demonstrate. Let's not just do the testing or trying to lift the standards like these students have to pass MCAS in order to graduate. Like, 
Yeah, that's great. Great addition. Perfect. Thank you so much, Marvin. Hi, and thanks for tuning in into our podcast. This podcast was made possible thanks to our guest, Marvin Moore, and also with a special shout out to Kasim for being the bridge between our team and also Marvin. Also, we have a podcast episode with Kasim where we talk about his experiences with the educational system and mental health in schools. Please check it out. In addition, thank you to our individual group members, Nikki, Aileen, Valerie, and Kay for helping this project. For this project would not have been possible without your contributions and sacrifice to make the ends meet. This is Brian and Thank you to the listener for being here. If you are curious or have any questions about Charlestown High, then please visit their website at www.charlestownhs.org. That is www.charlestownhs.org. Thank you.